You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thanks be to Nathan Smith. How about that voice? Uh, hopefully you recognise that, one of the best voices across the whole City on a Hill movement, uh, showcased in this new teaching series, 1 Peter. I think someone was about to clap for the Bible reading. You can clap. Uh, absolutely good to clap for a Bible reading uh, and thankful for Nathan's service, not just of our church, but of the other churches in our movement as well. Well, today we do begin this book uh, in the New Testament, uh, we begin a journey through 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter is a favourite among many Christians. Who can think of uh, a Bible verse from 1 Peter that you kind of know and maybe you've memorised before? Okay, those hands that have come up, come up the front. We're going to get you to share. No, you don't need to share it on the spot. But 1, 1 Peter is one of those uh, books that is filled with memory verses, filled with so much hope. Uh, Edmund Clowney said this about the letter. He said, it's the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and of the conduct that it inspires. Uh, Martin Luther said that 1 Peter is one of the noblest books in the New Testament, a paragon of excellence. 
I think we should have called the series A Paragon of Excellence. Uh, Graham Cole said uh, of 1 Peter that it is the book for the 21st century. Uh, And Karen Jobes, she's uh, an author that's regarded as probably the best commentary uh, on 1 Peter. She said this, Perhaps this letter's universal relevance is due to its presentation of how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundational principle by which the Christian life is lived out within the larger unbelieving society. It might be an obvious question, uh, but this book is certainly relevant for us today in this century. But who wrote this letter? Well, he's identified in the opening sentence, it's the Apostle Peter. Now, we know of the Apostle Peter, that he is one of Jesus' kind of inner circle, one of Jesus' best friends and closest disciples. He's, he's the one who was there, who was ready to go get him, ready, kind of brave and bold, Peter. And yet, in Jesus' time of need, Peter denied Jesus three times. But we see after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his appearance to his disciples at the end of John's gospel, we see Jesus reinstates Peter uh, as one of his disciples who will continue in his mission. Three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Uh, And Peter's like, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. This letter, I think, is part of Peter feeding the flock of Jesus in the first century and in our time. Now, this is an important letter for us to grapple with. And one of the reasons that I think this ancient book is relevant for us today is because of an identity crisis. An identity crisis. This identity crisis impacts upon all people. You see, one of the most important questions that anyone can ask in life, one of the foundational questions to ask is, who am I? And how people have answered that who am I question has shifted throughout time. You know, some of the ways that different people have answered that question uh, include the following, you know, I'm I'm the son of a baker, therefore I am a baker. I am born in Australia, therefore I am... Australian. I'm into 1990s boy bands like Backstreet. Therefore, I am ridiculed. <laughs> True story. High school was tough for this kid. Many, many, many questions in our culture at large uh, kind of surround the whole question of the who am I and, and, and in the space of gender and sexuality. You know, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Can I change my gender? You know, how we define ourselves and even try to answer the who am I question so often comes back to sexuality. In many senses, it seems to be of our day and our age, the overarching identity marker. Uh, Many, likewise, now, as they answer the question, who am I, identify themselves with increasingly polarised political parties and ideologies. You know, and even as we answer that question, maybe we're a little bit more... Depends on the day, on who am I. How we think about ourselves and our identity can be dictated by our circumstances. Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I successful? And what about us as Christians? I think that the identity crisis at large in the culture has trickled into the church, and there's certainly an identity crisis in the church. 
I think a lot of Christians are confused about how to think about our identity in relationship to the world. And we can easily be shaped by the culture. You know, we're unsure on on what it means to be a Christian in a secular world. 1 Peter is a book for us now. It'll help us to navigate these questions of identity. And so this morning, as we open up chapter 1 of 1 Peter, I want to ask not just the one question, who am I? I want to ask two questions. Here they are. Who are we and what do we have? Critical questions to answer. Who are we and what do we have? Here's why the answers to these questions matter. Knowing who we are and knowing what we have will help us to make sense of life in this world. Knowing who we are and what we have will give us perspective to press on in the Christian life when the world seems against us. Who's ready to answer these two questions? There we go. 8.30. Give it up. That was like three people who said, yeah. But anyway, keep your Bibles out. Keep them open. Uh, 1 Peter. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, please see our team out at the info desk after the service. Uh, we've just restocked our Bibles. Uh, people regularly take them. We want, to, we want you to receive them as a gift. If you don't have a paper Bible, please see the team. We'd love to put one in your hands. We'd love to encourage you to read it. We'd love to help you with that as well. But keep open. 1 Peter chapter 1. And the first question is, who are we? For those taking notes, here's the answer. Who are we? Elect exiles. Who are we? Elect exiles. Uh, Notice the phrase, elect exiles, in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is writing to Christians who've been dispersed. They've been scattered throughout the region that we now know as Turkey. And elect exiles that you see there in verse 1, it's at one level a strange term because, or a strange coupling of terms because elect and exiles seem to be contradictory terms. Elect, well, that means you're selected. Exile, that means you're rejected. (laughs) Elect, selected, exile, rejected, and yet there is no contradiction. Uh, According to Sam Storms, he says this, God's people are rejected by this world precisely because they have been elected by God. You see, God made these people... (laughs) scattered through the dispersion that Peter is writing to and made them exiles and aliens in the earth when he, when he chose them, when he put his affection upon them and chose them from the world for himself. They are exiles who don't fit into this world and yet they are elect. They have an eternal, heavenly inheritance. You see, I think this concept of elect exiles is a beautiful picture. Although as exiles, God's people are currently on the margins of society, ridiculed by the world, they belong to God. Christians, we are chosen. God's people are chosen ones and we've been destined for eternal glory. Have you ever stopped just to think and ponder the incredible privilege it is to be chosen by God? Have you stopped and thought about that? 
Of all the people that God made, if you are in Christ, he chose you to be one of his people, to belong to him. You know, God's sovereign choice means we are special. We are special, but not because of anything we have or haven't done, but because God chose us. We're special because God chose us. You know, I want you to notice as you keep reading into the next verse, three phrases in verse 2 that help us to understand the purpose of God's sovereign choice of His people. Uh, in verse 2, you'll notice reference to God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians, we believe in the Holy Trinity. Uh, tr- Trinity, tri-unity. Unity, there is one God. There is only one God, the everlasting God. He has no beginning and no end. He is the creator God. There is only one God and yet try. There are three persons within the Godhead. And I love this verse and I love the Trinitarian shape and formula that is to follow in the way in which we see God, Father, Son and Spirit at work in choosing and gathering a people for himself. Have a look at verse 2, it begins and says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. When I was a teenager, I thought God's foreknowledge meant that God had watched a video. It was literally like a VHS. That's kind of what was around when I was a teenager. That God had kind of watched, it was like God had watched this video before it played out. And so he knew how history would play out and then therefore he knew what would happen before it happened. And yet, foreknowledge is not just observations by God ahead of time. And it's not even just accurate predictions by God ahead of time. In Scripture, knowledge, to know, is typically more than an intellectual assent. To to know carries with it an intimacy. You know, the man and the wife knew each other is not just had seen across the room. (laughs) Let the reader understand. To, To know carries an intimacy. To know is to love. Sam Storm says of this, he says, to foreknow, therefore, is to forelove. Understand this, that before the foundation of the world, God foreknew and therefore foreloved us. Before anything had happened, before creation was set in place, God had resolved to show His grace, to show His mercy, to show His love toward us. Isn't that remarkable? God chose to display his affection and put it upon us, his elect exiles. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, look at the second phrase, in the sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, sanctifies. Now, sanctification has a, a range of meanings in the New Testament, but here uh, it's the initial act of God the Spirit that we, that, that we would be set apart to the Father, that we would belong to Him, consecrated and claimed to be holy. Like Israel were to be set apart, even more so New Testament believers are set apart from the world around us, 
called to be distinct, called to be different, called to be God's. And our ultimate purpose, we've seen the work of the Father, we've seen the work of the Spirit. Verse 2 continues, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. You see, the aim of the Father for knowing and electing and of the Spirit setting us apart for, to Himself, the goal in that third phrase is obedience to Christ and sprinkling with His blood. Uh, one of the things that we'll see throughout 1 Peter is we'll see uh, many Old Testament quotes. I want you to keep an eye out for them, but more than just Old Testament quotes, we will see Old Testament allusions the whole way through this book. Uh, background to this statement of the sprinkling with his blood is in Exodus 24 when Moses initiates the children of Israel into the covenant with God. Israel have just promised that they'll obey. Moses then sprinkles them with blood and it signifies God's gracious acceptance of them into the covenant and their obligation to be faithful and obedient. You see, as elect exiles, we are called to obey Jesus by whose blood we've been welcomed in by whose blood we've been forgiven. Uh, the uh, late Duke of Windsor uh, died in uh, May 1972. Uh, any, any fans of the crown out there, bring on the next season. It won't be long away. Uh, he, was, um, he was known as King Edward VIII. And you'd know, if you know much of the story, that he was the king for a short time before abdicating the throne to our current queen, Big fan of Queen Elizabeth II, about to celebrate 70 years. Isn't that phenomenal? Uh, now, in a documentary about uh, the, Duke, the late Duke of Windsor's life, it shows earlier films uh, about his upbringing, about his reign, and about his abdication. Uh, and as he looked back and considered his time as a boy, he said this, My father, King George V, was a strict disciplinarian. Sometimes when I'd done something wrong, he would admonish me saying, my dear boy, you must always remember who you are. My dear boy, you must always remember who you are. If you know how the story plays out, you might suggest maybe he forgot who he was. But if only he would remember that he was a royal prince destined for the throne, he would behave accordingly and not misbehave. Brothers and sisters, we must always remember who we are and what we're destined for. You know, where do you look to understand your identity? It's easy to be uh, defined by our relationships, by our sexuality, by our financial security, by our political leanings, by our career success, by our cultural values. But Peter wants his readers, that includes us, all elect exiles, to know that our identity is primarily found in God. We've been elected by the Father, set apart by the Spirit, uh, purchased to obey the Son by whose blood we've been welcomed in. Our identity is in God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Peter's original recipients, they're, they're hurting. 
they're scattered throughout this region and they're persecuted and they're oppressed and they're facing many trials. And so it's significant that from the very opening greeting, he focuses on their election. You see, knowing God, Father, Son and Spirit and His eternal purpose for His people is the primary thing that will sustain them and us in difficult times. Is your trust in Christ? Then know who you are. More importantly, know whose you are as one of God's chosen people. I trust that, <coughs> I trust that knowing who and whose we are as God's chosen people is a truth that the Spirit will repeatedly bring to mind during this series. It's hard to walk away from this book without knowing that truth. And that this will be an encouragement for us in times of affliction to strengthen our hearts, to sustain our hope. Yes, we are aliens, we are strangers, we are exiles on this earth. The values, the customs and the priorities of this world will at times feel foreign to us. But brothers and sisters, we are so much more than exiles. We are elect exiles, a people chosen by God. Regardless of where you personally are tempted to look to define your life and your identity, know that your core identity is as uh, God's chosen, as a member of God's family, belonging to the church of Jesus Christ. God wants us to know that none, and I think 1 Peter will convince us of this, none of the difficulties or frustrations we face now are a surprise to him. I love this quote from Sam Storms. He says, dwell on this majestic truth. Let it sink deeply into your soul. God has chosen you. The Spirit has set you apart for his unique and beloved possession. And your life has been designed for obedience to Jesus. Question number one, who are we? Well, who we are, we are elect exiles. Question number two, what do we have? For those taking notes, what we have, hope and joy. What we have, hope and joy. You see, we need to understand not only who we are, but what we have because of who we are. What follows in 1 Peter 1 after the opening greeting there into the next paragraph uh, are a couple of uh, thoughts outlining uh, the profound hope and joy that is ours if we belong to Christ Jesus. So first, what we have in heaven is hope. Uh, hope is a powerful thing. Its presence or absence will impact your life profoundly. Hopelessness can lead to all sorts of reckless behaviours or even the despairing of life itself. You know, the COVID pandemic of the last couple of years has exacerbated the hopelessness of many people in the context of a, a real fear of death, in the context of a constant isolation, you know, as well as the effects of the virus, the impact on mental health has been heartbreaking. Hopelessness can lead to despair, but hopefulness makes a difference. It can lead to courage, 
perseverance and perspective, even amid difficult circumstances. Elect exiles among us. Look at the incredible hope that is ours in the next paragraph, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a paragraph. God has given us hope. He blessed be, praise be to him. Look at what he has given us. According to his great mercy. Remember, we are recipients of his mercy. We don't deserve mercy. Mercy is, is kind of not, be, is, is, is not being given something you do deserve, being spared from hopelessness. God has given us in his great mercy. Out of his kindness, he has given us hope. He has caused us to be born again, verse 3, to, to have a new life, a fresh start. There's a sense in which our first birth our, is our biological birth, but our new birth, it's a spiritual birth. It's been made alive to God, brought back into right relationship with Him. And, and notice the phrase there in uh, verse 3, it's a living hope. And I think when we read the words living hope, it clearly is a contrast to the, the dead hopes of this world. Dead hope, it, it's a, a hope that is uncertain, a hope that is effectively non-existence. You know, often the way in which, uh, just even in modern English, the way that we use the word hope, it's, it's, it's never particularly certain, right? You know, I hope I win the lottery. <laughs> you might, probably not. You know, I hope that my body will stop decaying. Well, it might, but not for long. I hope, I hope that work won't be as difficult this week as it was last week. Well, it might, it might be better than last week, but there's no certainty that those things that we hope in will happen. And yet the Christian hope is a living hope. It's a certain hope. It's alive. Why is it alive? Because Jesus is alive. You see there, verse 3, our living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the Christian gospel, the word gospel means good news. Often as Christians, as we speak about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we regularly and rightly focus on Jesus' death upon the cross in our place and for our sin. That's a good thing. But it's, good, it's a good thing because we're all sinners and we deserve God's judgment and yet Jesus is sinless and Jesus is not deserving of judgment. And so his sacrificial death on our behalf, uh, it's because of his blood that has been poured out for us that we can find, we can receive forgiveness of sin, we can have reconciliation with God. But Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sins isn't enough. It's only the first half of the gospel story. You see, after Jesus was put to death on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus' tomb is empty. You go to Jerusalem today and they will show you 15 of Jesus' empty tombs. Look at this one. Buy some of our merchandise. Another one of Jesus' empty tombs. This is the empty tomb of Jesus. Do you know the thing that all 15 of those empty tombs of Jesus have in common today in Jerusalem? 
None of them have the bones of Jesus. There's an empty tomb of Jesus in Brisbane City. There's a little cave. It's where Jesus... Jesus' bones aren't there because Jesus is alive. You know, our sin and debt has been cancelled through Jesus' death. And our new life, our new birth, and our hope has been won through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The empty tomb of Jesus guarantees that all the elect exiles, that we too will have empty tombs. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Uh, Like many people, uh, uh, the last month or so, I've been trying to avoid COVID. Uh, So far, well, I don't know. I haven't actually had a test, so I could have it now, and I'm don't get too close because I don't have a mask on right now. But been trying to avoid COVID and had some things at the start of January that I didn't want to miss. And, and so I, I didn't, haven't been to the gym uh, since before Christmas. But on Thursday, I thought, it's time. I can, I can go back into the world and I can get COVID. Uh, and so I did my pound class. If you don't know what pound is, uh, it's Dave uh, in his early 40s with a, a, a whole bunch of women in their 60s and 70s. And with these bright green, slightly weighted drumsticks... And uh, there's no drums. <laughs> we just kind of drum against the air and against the ground and kind of, it's a lot of fun. And it's so much fun that you don't realise that your core and kind of your butt and kind of everywhere is like stinging because of the pain. Anyway, quick promo for pound classes at the gym. Uh, I did my pound class and I thought, oh, you know what, I'll do another 15 minutes and just did some arms things as well, some weights straight after it. Oh, and then I got home and I said, hey, kids, let's go play basketball. Played basketball for an hour, dominated. Can't dunk, but still dominated. Oh, and then on Friday afternoon, just a day afterwards, I played tennis and kind of could feel my shoulder a little bit. And let me just tell you about what Saturday and already on Sunday has been like. I've, I've been limping around, kind of going, I feel like I've been hit by a bus. My body is aching almost every, everywhere. And if I'm honest, my body is perishing, right? It is on its way out. I have a value for health and for exercise, but my hope is not in this body. You know, I don't know if you go to the gym, uh, but I often look with pity at the younger folk at the gym. Who am I? At the younger folk. I look at those younger folk at the gym. The the ones I'm referring to are the ones that stand in front of the mirror for hours on end, investing in everything, setting up the the, the phone to stream or to make their TikToks for later on and pose, and it's just this investment in my body. Now, those my age and above that are in the pound class, we, we don't want to look at the mirrors. It ain't pretty if you look too close for too long. And here's the thing. I think you get to a certain point where you realize that you will not achieve immortality. And so going to the gym is not about identity, is not about status. It's just trying to survive a little bit longer. But here's the thing with our resurrection hope. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this body. Our hope is not in that which is perishable. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a living hope. Look at verse 4 again. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Man, isn't that good news? Doesn't that just free you 
to not worry about the best looking active wear, <laughs> to, to, to worry less about the things of this world. It's a sure and certain hope. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It is the total opposite of our earthly bodies, which are perishing, which are defiled, which are fading. And it's certain because Jesus rose from the dead and it's safe and secure, kept for us in heaven. It's ours now. We have hope now, brothers and sisters, and yet it's also ours to come. It's kept in heaven for us. Though these bodies are fading, though circumstances can be discouraging, it is certain. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's how secure it is. God will keep it for us. We keep faith, faith, we, we keep trusting in God, trusting in Jesus. We keep trusting in the promises of God. We keep trusting that just like Jesus' tomb will be empty, we trust that our tombs will also be empty, that God will, in fact, raise the dead. We have been saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but we also have a salvation that is yet to come. We've got it now. We are saved, and yet it's not yet. It's already, but it's not yet. There is a salvation to come on the last day. There is a day when we will all be raised with all of God's people in, to everlasting life with bodies that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That's an attractive offer, isn't it? Do you know this hope? I'm certain there are people here today, people tuning in online, People perhaps catching up on the podcast. And you feel right now that life is hopeless. Broken relationships. Work sucks. Your body's decaying. Jesus offers you hope. And this resurrection hope is life-changing. It doesn't necessarily make life easier. But it allows us to take a step back and to see the bigger picture. We look back at the first coming of Christ, when he secured our salvation in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, through his triumphant resurrection. And we look forward to Christ's second coming, when we'll be physically raised with him. Look, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you are here. Every week is a good week to gather together in this church. Every week is a good week to investigate Jesus and the claims that he makes and the promises that he gives. But here's the thing, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you don't yet have this type of hope. Can I urge you, whether this is your first time or whether you've been kind of checking this thing out for a little while, let me urge you to put your trust in Christ. Become one of his people. Receive the, the, the certain hope of resurrection that God freely, by his mercy, offers to you even this day. If that's you and you'd like to talk with someone, you'd like to pray with someone, please come and chat with me. Please reach out to our team. Please fill out an online connect card. We'd, we'd love to help you and even answer some of your questions about what it means to take hold of this hope. But look, if you're already a follower of Jesus, and I know that's the majority of us here are claiming to be followers of Jesus, take hold once again of this certain hope that is already yours. Now, question two, what do we have? Well, first, what we have in heaven is hope. And second, what we have on earth, therefore, is joy. 
You see, when you understand the secure hope, the certain hope, the living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, kept safe in heaven for us, it frees us right now to be a people of joy. Even in the midst of trials, look at, look at it, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Grieved. Real grief. Christian, brother, sister, you're not immune from real grief, real hardship in this wearying world. You know, it speaks there of various trials. Look, I love the honest assessment as you read through 1 Peter, that following Jesus ain't going to mean you're going to be free from trials and difficulties in this life. Sometimes at different points, different churches and different movements kind of put these ridiculous promises out there. Hey, come to Jesus and everything will be cool. Did you listen to what Jesus said? Did you hear how it worked out for his disciple Peter and how his life ended? Following Jesus doesn't lead to a, a more comfortable life here and now. Friends, if you're not a follower of Jesus, hear the terms and conditions. Following Jesus will come at a cost. Following Jesus will not spare you from grief and trials in this life. And yet notice that phrase there in verse 6, though now for a little while. Ah, oh, how good is that? It's a little hint, trials won't go on forever. And, and so we can rejoice, right? Because here's the thing. Suffering and hard times in the Christian life aren't wasted. A good work happens because of suffering in the Christian life that causes us to hope all the more in the resurrection and in Christ. You see, it continues. Look at verse 7. It says, So that the tested genuineness... Of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If gold, which is a part of a world that perishes and also is a, a, a paving tile in the new creation, if, if gold, uh, if it's good for gold that it's tested by fire, we are so much more valuable than gold. Our faith is more precious than gold. And so it's natural that our faith will be put through a test by fire. Hard times will come, persecution will come, frustration will come, sadness will come, grief will come, death will come. You know, some of you have recently been through some really tough times, or in the midst of really tough times, whether it's a work situation, a COVID situation, a relational situation. Now, some of the, the tough times you're enduring right now are just because you're part of a broken world. But for some of you, some of the tough times you're enduring are because you're a follower of Jesus. I know of one member of our church who was removed from his job because of his Christian convictions. Let these difficult moments cause you to keep trusting in Jesus. God will shield you. God will protect you. And he will get the glory on the last day. Verse 8 continues and says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him uh, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you get it? We know Jesus. We can't see him, but we know he loves us. And therefore, we believe in him and we love him. We know Jesus. 
We know Jesus. No matter what circumstances you wake up to tomorrow morning, you know Jesus. You can be filled with an inexpressible joy. You see, suffering is not wasted on Christians. God will use our suffering to prepare us for glory, to refine our faith, to strengthen us that we keep trusting in Jesus. And He gets the glory. He gets the honour for His work among us. Let me finish with this slightly longer quote from Sam Storms. He says, For those who know Christ, suffering is far from senseless or discouraging. It is rather an expression of God's love, a divinely orchestrated test that purifies our faith in preparation for the return of Jesus. As distressing as life may often be, this tested as though by fire faith enables us to love Christ even in his physical absence and to experience the blessings of a joy so deep that words fail to account for it. It might even be said that the mark of, of genuine Christian growth and spiritual maturity is the capacity to suffer well. Few will testify to having learned much during seasons of prosperity, but many will point to the testing of their faith as the occasion in which they grew in greater conformity to the image of Jesus. It's been my privilege uh, in my role to walk with people through some of the darkest moments, through some of the deepest valleys. And there are people all across this church uh, that I've gotten a snapshot into seeing the way in which your faith has been tested, the way in which you have stood firm, the way in which you have grown in the hardest of moments, in the darkest of hours. Brothers and sisters, let me urge you to keep embracing even the suffering that comes towards you. You know, some of these themes that we've touched on today, we're going to come back to a few times in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be able to learn from the Apostle Peter. We're going to be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope and trust we're going to have opportunities in our gospel communities, have opportunities in our Sunday gatherings, opportunities as we share life with one another to see the ways in which there are so many among us who have already taken hold of what is true in these scriptures and are applying it in this life. Friends, we've got... There's no need to have an identity crisis. You are an elect exile. And as an elect exile, we are people of hope and we are people of joy. Know who you are. Know what you have. And make 2022 and every year the Lord gives to you a year where you embrace joy, where you embrace hope, even in the midst of suffering. Let me pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks. We are so thankful for the opportunity to hear your word. And Father, we, we praise you uh, for the way that this word speaks to all of life. Father, we ask that you'd help us this morning to know who we are as elect exiles, chosen by you, loved by you. And Father, that we'd know what we have Give us, just give us a vision to see the hope that is ours.
Help us to keep clinging to Christ, knowing that hope, knowing the resurrection that is to come. And Father, may you fill us with inexpressible joy. May we be a people who not only know your love, but love you in return. Lovers of Jesus. Father, we know that it's, it's a little while. It's but for a moment. And so strengthen our faith. Encourage us, un- encourage us, encourage us in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.